Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for everybody online who's joining us. It's great to have you with us. And uh, man, I'm so grateful for people like Pops. Uh, Man, Preston, if you don't know Preston Zale, he's been working with our young people for a long time, and the kids love him. They know him as Mr. Pop, so if that's what we refer him to here, it's because he's not our father, but he's Pops to the kids. And uh, man, I'm so glad uh, for people like him in the season, because even today, what we're going to be reading in Psalm 51 is maybe a little bit more of a heavier message, and sometimes it can go right over the kiddos' heads, and I love that he can come in and speak to uh, the realities of the kids. and maybe bring it down to their level for a moment. I'll do the best I can as well. But if you want to turn to Psalm 51, uh, we're going to be in Psalm 51. We started a new series last week called Assembly Required. And we looked at Psalm 1 about the Word of God and, and how the Word of God brings blessing and fruitfulness and, and the amazing gift that the Word of God is for us. And it's something not for us just to take a verse every once in a while or skim the top or whatever it may be, but it's something that we're called to delight in. And when we do, we'll be like a firm tree planted by the edge of the water. And so my challenge for you is maybe you missed out. I challenged you last week. Take some time. Uh, this last week, hopefully, if it's been a while for you to get into the Word of God outside of Sunday mornings, you took opportunity this week just to open up the Word of God and, and read a passage. Start in uh, John and just begin to read the Gospel of John and the story of Jesus or whatever it may be. Start today. Don't wait till tomorrow. The Word of God is an essential part of our walk with Jesus. And today, we're going to be in Psalm uh, 51 which is a psalm of David, which we'll get to in a second. But I want to ask you a question uh, before we jump in, just to kind of get our, our hearts and our minds and our emotions heading in the right direction. The question is this, do you feel close to God? So there might be a multiple of different answers in, in the room and online. Like, do you, I know that there's seasons within our Christian lives where we kind of ebb and flow. We feel close and not close. Sometimes we're wondering, like other Psalms of David, where are you? Like, as the deer pants for the water, we sang this song. I sang it as a kid, right? It was so great. But at the end of the day, really, David is, is, is yelling at God, like, where are you? Like, I don't feel you. You're not close. You're all these different things. It's not really this just beautiful truth we put on mugs and t-shirts, right? It's it's quite the opposite. And we go in these seasons of our Christian lives, and I just ask you that today, where do you feel today with God? Because I think where you feel will help us get to where we need to go uh, by looking at Psalm 51 today, because I think there's a multiple uh, number of different people in the room today and online, and we'll be here for the next service. There's people here that probably don't know God whatsoever. They might think they know God, but they, they don't know God. They know a lot about him, maybe, but they don't know him. And for sure, I'm sure there's people watching, potentially, that someone shared this, someone clicked on it, but they don't know God. Maybe there's some people here that some of you, maybe you've, you've known his closeness in the past, but man, there's no closeness anymore. It's been a while since you felt close to God. 
You know what, what's funny is many times when I ask people when God did the most in their life, when they felt the closest to God, oftentimes they go back to a time when they were a student, maybe in high school or college, they were away to retreat, this, that, and the other, and God did something significant in their lives. And that's when they felt the closest and they longed for those days yet again. Or maybe there's some people here today wondering, maybe just wondering or watching online, wondering if it's actually possible for them to be close to God given what they have done. Like, I don't know if a guy like me or a girl like me or an individual like me, like, if I could actually be close to God, I don't know if God will let me in close enough. I'm a pretty, you know, if you know me, I'm, I'm a pretty messed up person. I remember what it felt like before, but you don't know what I've done. And I don't know who you are today, but I'll tell you this, that I, I, I promise you that if you don't feel close to God, it's not necessarily because God is not close. If we don't feel close to God, it might be, just might be today, and I, and I want to be somewhat um, challenging today. It might be because of what we're going to talk about today. What was the issue in David's life, and maybe is in the issue in many of our lives here today? Sin that has gripped our hearts and our minds and has separated, broken relationship. Not like you lost your salvation, but broken the intimacy and the closeness that is with God because of sin and brokenness in my own heart, unconfessed, unrepented of, just living in my heart and my soul. And so when we look at Psalm 51 today, they're helping us as we look at them for the first number of weeks, helping us to reinforce our conviction that God's people are called to gather together last week for the reading of the word of God, for today, for the confession of the saints, for us to all confess together what we sing about Great is your faithfulness. That's saying the same thing that God says, that he's faithful, that there's a corporate confession that happens here. And this is maybe one of the more um, amazing facets of our coming together. So when you look at the Psalms, they're really poems. And so, um, man, it, it's amazing when you look at them, and not all of them start like this, but Psalm 51 gives us a subscription at the beginning. So it gives us like this, the context of why it was written and where it's, where it's at in the, in the whole theme of Scripture. And so it's great for us to know because it helps us know why it matters. And so this psalm gives us this description at the very beginning. To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone to Bathsheba, gone into Bathsheba. So, do we know the context of the psalm? Written is after Nathan confronted David. So, if you don't know, Pops gave us a little bit of a highlight, but here's the deal. This is the background. If you're new, maybe you're listening on, uh, watching online, you're new to the whole grand scheme of, uh, of the story of the Bible. Here's the deal. David was a king, an unbelievable king, the greatest king maybe in all of Israel's history. He was God's anointed, a man after God's own heart, a shepherd, a warrior, a musician, a poet. I mean, this guy is the guy. I mean, poetry, music, shepherd, all of these things, great warrior, maybe the best there was. And uh, there's this one time in this season when kings went out to war, which David should have done, but David decided to stay home. And he was up on his wall, and he looked down, and he saw Bathsheba. And Bathsheba was one uh, the wife of one of his most uh, faithful soldiers, and he saw Bathsheba bathing. Now, I don't want to get into too much detail, but my, most scholars believe that the reason why Bathsheba got pregnant from their sin is because Bathsheba was probably bathing there, taking a mikvah bath after her time in the month, and she would have to be cleansed to be 
ceremonial clean again. And so she was there bathing. David looks down and sees her in her nudity, and he lusts after her. And so he calls her to his palace, sleeps with her, and she becomes pregnant. So David scrambles, like, man, what do I do about this? So he gets up with this, this grand plan. He brings her husband back from war and says, man, have a great, just go hang out with your wife and just, you know, just relax. And, all, and, and this guy is such a great guy. No, I could never do that with my guys out on the battlefield. And so David's plan goes sideways. And so he essentially murders David, or excuse me, murders her husband to cover up his sin. So one sin now is covering up another sin, is covering up another sin. And so he puts him on the front lines. And the story is seemingly over. Uh, you read in 2 Samuel 11, and it says this And when the morning was over, so after Bathsheba was done mourning her husband, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done, now this is the scary part of the text. The thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And all of us in this room that wrestle with a besetting or overwhelming sin that we can't shake, while it may not affect anyone around you, no one else knows about it, and you're like, man, this is no big deal, it still displeases the Lord. You know, it's amazing. Before his nation, David was all good, right? He, he, he had gotten away with adultery and murder, but now this last line is quite terrifying. It's different. It's, that, it's like, man, before everyone else, he's the greatest king. He's unbelievable. Man, this dude is the guy. But to the Lord, who knows our hearts, the deepest, darkest secrets of our hearts, it displeased the Lord. David had deceived a nation, but he could not deceive God. So God sent the prophet Nathan who told a parable. David's like, man, that guy should be, that guy should get the full extent of the law. And he's like, well, you're the guy. And so David's response, oh man, God promised him forgiveness and consequences after David's confession. And after this confrontation, David pens Psalm 51. And we're going to read it today as this is his journey back to God. This is his journey back out of repentance and confession for this great sin. So I just want to say this morning, maybe there's, uh, I'll, I'll say maybe there's people here or online uh, that are like, have not gone to the extent of David. Can I tell you, it just gives you hope. No matter what you're wrestling with, you probably haven't, uh, you know, had, had an affair with someone and then killed their husband or their wife. Most of us. And even if you have, there's hope, right? Because David, in all of this, experiences amazing forgiveness and hope from God himself. So when we look at Psalms, they're poems. We don't just take them at face value. We look at them a little differently. They're highly structured. If you are into poetry, I'm not, but in my studies of Psalms and wisdom literature, poetry is very structured. There's like a beginning and ending. We see that here in this. The first two uh, verses and the last two verses of the psalm stand out separately from the rest, and there's a transition that happens, a move that, that, that goes from desperate mercy, like, God, I need your mercy, to the end, the last two verses, a festive celebration of worship together. And, and man, it moves from depression to, to filthiness and sin to clean cleanliness and joy that he experiences. This beautiful transition that happens in Psalm 51. So what we're going to see today is cleansing um, and joy come from confession. So no matter where you are today, cleansing and joy can come from confession, brokenness and repentance before the Lord. So 
verse 3 begins uh, saying some things to us. And the first thing we're going to see, just three quick things this morning, is, is that to know our own sin, as we see that David did, he actually knew his sin. He didn't just be like, I don't know what the problem is. Like, I don't, there's... He knew exactly what his sin was. It begins the saying, for I know my transgressions are ever before me. So let's read it together, the first uh, three through six. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you and only you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, so I was born into sin, Right? Uh, for I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart, my innermost part. So we see here, David knows his sin, and we have to know our own sin. And out of that place, because he knew his sin, he would actually compel and beg of God for mercy. Like, I need your mercy because I actually know who I was. He's painfully aware of his sin as he says, it's ever before me. Like I'm living, God, with the rest of my life that I, that I not only uh, took someone's wife, I killed them. And the sin, the brokenness is ever before me. Man, he had deep grief. And probably most of us in this room can, ex- can understand what it feels like to grieve not only our sin, but experience grief in Life, but there's part of this verse maybe we can't identify with. And when it says this, against you and only, excuse me, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Now, maybe we can't identify with that because when you read that, you're like, wait a minute, hold on a second. I, I know the story here. David had sinned against Uriah. He not only took his wife, before he killed him, then he murdered him, right? He had sinned against Bathsheba, taking her in the first place. He sinned against their child, his army, and his nation. And I don't think this is meant to minimize all the brokenness that had happened there, that he didn't necessarily sin against them. I think what it's showing us is, at the end of the day, is that essentially the nature of a sin is something that is first against God. That the nature of your sin, your brokenness, what you experience every day, the ways in which you believe Satan rather than God, the way in which maybe you, you enter into broken places often is essentially at the end of the day, your sin and my sin, while it hurts other people, because broken people hurt people, right? Hurt people hurt people. That's just the way it goes. And we're broken. And so we affect other people around me. And your sin affects other people around you. But at the end of the day, the, the, the deal is, is that it is offensive to God, a holy God, who, who maybe you are rescued and redeemed and a follower of Jesus, and yet we walk in sin. Not only that, it is offensive to God when we sin against other people. What's the two main laws that Jesus says? Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. And so, man, he's showing here that this is the state of his sin and our sin, that it's an offense to the Lord. So David throws himself before God's mercy, refusing to actually justify himself. He's owning his brokenness because he even says, like, man, I was born into this. Like, sin is part of my nature. I didn't become a sinner because I sinned. I sinned because I was a sinner. Did you catch that? Like, I didn't become a sinner the first time I sinned. I sinned the first time because I was a sinner. It was in my nature. Like, I never taught my kids, mine! It's just in them. They just know it. Selfishness is in us. Like, I didn't sit them down and be like, this is how you're selfish. This is how you do this or that. 
No, they just know it because we're already broken in our sinfulness. And he says, man, he owns his brokenness. And he says that the prophet came, oh man, the, the light that shined in his heart came through the prophet uh, Nathan, and, and it, it shined wisdom into the secret part of his heart. Now, this is amazing. This word, secret heart, refers to, as you translate it, as you look at it, is, is the hiding place of your soul. Think about that for a moment. The, the hiding place of your soul. There's a, a deep recess of what he's saying here. There's a deep recess of your soul that we cannot search out. Probably because we've welcomed darkness and shrouded from the outside eyes so no one else can see it. We, we, we've, we've, we've spent so much time hiding these secret places of our souls that we've forgotten what they look like in the light. We've, we've minimized them. I don't know about you, but there's probably sins in each one of your lives here and online that we walk with every day. And man, over time after time, when we live in it and it gets placed in the secret parts of our soul, it's so more and more minimized and minimized and minimized and minimized that now it doesn't because something that is a really big deal in our lives. Man, I, what, we, what we're saying here is we, man, I don't know about you, have you ever woken up, middle of the night, can't see anything, you're stumbling around your room, you inevitably trip on one of your kids like action figures and it goes through your foot, you hit your knee on the desk and you're trying to find your way. That's kind of what it is for us. There's places in our hearts that many times we don't even see, that we're blind to them and we need the light of the gospel to shine into the deep recesses of our soul that we can see them in light of the gospel, in light of who God is, and therefore say, man, this is not okay. This is an offense to God. While I think it doesn't affect anyone else around me, it's still an offense to God. And so we see here, owning our sin, knowing it, is a path that's the first step on the way back to God. I, I love that many of us, I mean, I don't love that. Like, I often, I don't know about you, I don't love conviction, I mean, I don't love coming to church. I like coming to church and being like, woo, yes, I can do this. This is awesome. I don't always love leaving church and being like, holy cow, I am a, I am a jacked up individual. <laughs> but can I tell you that there's, we, we, we so try to get out of conviction. We don't love the weight of it. We don't like the feeling of it. Man, today you want to be encouraged and blessed and go. It's going to be great. But can I, I just want to be real with you today. The conviction is the grace of God. Conviction is the grace of God in your life. It's the grace of the Spirit of God. Right? For David, where did it come from? And it came... The conviction came from a guy by the name of Nathan, the prophet, who was the grace of God to David. David would have continued living his life. No one knew about his sin. It was hidden down in the deep recesses of his soul. But the grace of God came in the conviction of God from the prophet of God. And the same is true for us. Man, God could have responded to David and poured out his wrath on him, taken his life in exchange for Uriah's eye for an eye in the Old Testament, right? He could have removed the blessing from David like he did with Saul. He could have let the, the whole kingdom slip through his fingers, but he didn't. Man, the conviction of God was the grace of God in his life, and it was the first step back towards the God that he knew and felt close with. And can I tell you this morning, when I'm talking right now, I don't have to, I don't have to go through. Here's the list of 30 sins 
every one of you and myself know exactly what they are for you. And many of them live in the deep recesses of our soul, the secret places. And oftentimes we say, man, they're not, they're not affecting anyone else, but I promise you they are affecting someone around you. And more than that, the weight of them is felt from God as they are an offense to him. It displeases the Lord. Uh, so we see as he moves in the psalm that he begs for inner transformation as we see in, in verses 7 through 12. Look with me. As we see next, beg for inner transformation. Not only know our sin, but then beg of transformation. Now there's words there that, make, uh, that, uh, that are pointed for a direction, right? So let's read in verse 7. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall uh, be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. I mean, it's like this amazing transformation has happened. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, oh God, because I can't do it on my own. It's been living there for a while. Create in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew the right spirit in me because my spirit is broken right now, Lord. And cast me not away because... That would be the worst place to be away from the presence of the Lord. And take not your Holy Spirit from me. You see, David here is, is begging for an inner transformation. That, that, that the fruit of that is confession that comes from conviction. And, and, and what we see is we see what confession looks like here. I love the, this stanza of the psalm of the poem. starts like this, purge me with hyssop. Now, this doesn't make a ton of sense. Hyssop doesn't make a lot of sense to us, but it would have made sense to them back then. It was this amazing tool, this image that translated well with them. It's super important in the sacramental uh, meaning to ancient Jews. So a hyssop is what the priests would have used to, or they would have used to sprinkle blood uh, on the doorposts in the Passover, right? When they were in bondage in Egypt, they would have taken the hyssop and sprinkled the blood with it. This is what a priest would have used for a ceremonial cleansing of a leper who was unclean and now was healed, and he would use it for that. It was an instrument uh, that they would use for purification of cleansing after someone came in contact with death. And they were, then they were ceremonial clean. So what he's saying is, he's saying, make me clean. Like whiter than snow, purify me. And, and traditionally, this would have happened with a priest. But here David is just begging of God himself directly to God. Now, I don't think David fully understood what he was asking for that would come in Jesus eventually. But he was going directly to God, knowing that that's where the grace would come from. Make me clean because you are my only hope, God. He pleads with him again to show him mercy. Did you catch it? He says, God, hide your face from basically David's sin. Like, don't see it. Look away. Make me clean. And blot out my sin, David's sin, and my iniquities, God, so that I'm clean. He, he requests a clean heart, a new spirit, and the enduring presence of God that would lead to the joy of his salvation and, and being upheld, uh, upheld by the spirit of God. You see, his prayer of confession is he's walking through the, 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 the basically the, the pathway of confession and repentance. He doesn't just say, right? So many times we think that, that, that confession and repentance is just saying like, God, I'm sorry, but no, he, he wants more than just being sorry. Like, hey, 
God, it happened again today. I'm sorry. Man, I got super upset with someone on the expressway, and I was angry again, and I'm sorry. Like, whatever it is, right? No, he goes much further than that. No, he says, not only that, man, I know my sin, and that is my sin. So confession literally means to say the same thing as. So when I confess my sin, I'm saying the same thing that God says about my sin. I say, God, it's wrong. I'm broken. I shouldn't have done it. I believe the lie of Satan, and I believe, God, that you are so much better than that, right? So confession is just telling God what he already knows. Like, I'm just getting out of my soul. Like, Man, I was wrong. It's sin. Repentance is much different. It's moving. It's a change. It's going in another direction. You see it here, right? You see, no, God, it's not enough. Purge me with hyssop. Cleanse my heart. Renew a right spirit in me. I want to go in this direction. But what I love is that he knows that it can't come from within himself. He just can't do more. Try harder. Three ways to a clean life. And you'll be good. Right? No. Um, I, I don't know about you, but anybody watch HGTV, Chip and JoJo fans? Anybody? Okay, cool. Three of us. It's awesome. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if you ever like watching those renovation shows. People are addicted to those things. Watching people take some old house. I mean, I, I've seen like like, Chip and Joanna Gaines make a house that looked like a barn. You're like, that is not physically possible, what you just did. And you watch it, and people love watching these shows, and I love watching, being blown away by what was and what is now. And, man, some of the most amazing days, and if you ever renovated a house, is demo day, right? Everybody gets a sledgehammer. You're just going to town. Cabinets, walls, whatever it is that you're taking out, that's the fun part. Anger management at its best. I mean, you're just going after it. It's awesome. Right? And, and what's funny is, is that I think that many times we go at our own lives like this. We see who we are. We see who we want to be. Oh, we're convicted, and we're like, man, God, I need to go in this direction. And so we think we got to bust out the sawzalls and the jackhammers and the sledgehammers of our lives and literally destroy everything we find. And we just go after it. And then after a season of self-destruction, we find ourselves in a barren house, ripped down to the studs, not sure what we're supposed to do, and how we go forward. But I think it's something much better than that. Confession and repentance aren't just about ripping out the sinful parts of our lives. It's about being like the HGTV homeowner. They find the greatest master designer and contractor to make it happen. They're not doing it just themselves most of the time. They're finding the greatest person. This is what we're seeing. True confession and repentance come when we know and own our need for transformation so deeply that we give up trying to do it ourselves and plead for God to transform us. Right? We, we, we move away from like, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this, to man, I can't do this, only Jesus can do this. Because, man, Jesus is a humble carpenter from Nazareth who's in the business of remodeling souls. He's in the business of remodeling souls. Man, and God could turn his face from it, but, man, he didn't. Jesus came, and he destroyed sin, and he rose to new life on Easter Sunday, creating new life for us. Our job is only to respond. Pleading, begging, God, man, maybe today there's people here that just need to sit and say, God, you know my sin. I declare what it is, it's sin. And I just need to beg you today, create in me a clean heart, oh God. 
Renew a right spirit in me, God. I need that, Lord. I can't do it on my own. How many years have you been trying to overcome the sin that you walk with every single day? To no avail. Maybe today's the day where you say, I can't do it. I need God to do it. And my, 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 my way forward is going to change. I'm rather than I'm going to try to do all these different things. I'm just going to beg God day in and day out. Make a new spirit in me. Lastly, I need to finish. In verse 13 to 17, celebrate God's salvation. And the fourth stanza, it breaks out into life celebration. Man, I love, uh, just let's read it real quickly in verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud for righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are broken and a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. So he's bust out in this celebration. He sees he, he has a willing spirit that God has created in David. He desires to please God in, in the stanza. He's like, man, I'll teach people about who you are, and I want to sing aloud of your righteousness and your passing over me and not holding me accountable, but actually uh, making the sacrifice, and God, I want you to open my lips so that I can proclaim. Man, do you want to know why we publicly gathered together to sing? You know that, like, it wasn't like one day somebody in the past was like, hmm, service is a touch boring, and uh, they're really, uh, they're not getting it, they're not pumped up enough with, uh, with the Bible, so... Music, that's what we'll do. We need to sing in church, and now we just sing in church because some guy got bored in church, and now we sing. No, it's because it's through. It's riddled through the text of Scripture that this is what we're called to do, that we've experienced what David experienced. If you're here today or you're online, and you've experienced the blood of Jesus covering you, washing you clean, and making a new spirit in you, the reason why we come in here and we don't just sit and be like, and we actually worship and declare who Jesus is because we've experienced it. And he calls us to do it, to lift up the name of Jesus, to worship who he is. With our lips, I will proclaim who you are. And then he declares the kind of spirit that the Lord accepts, sacrifices. Man, many times this text has been misunderstood throughout the years. For you will not delight in sacrifice, in verse 16, or I would give it. It doesn't mean that God doesn't want sacrifice, right? It doesn't make any sense because David has already appealed to God through sacrifice in verse 7, and he concludes the psalm with a festive celebration of right sacrifices to God. No, what he's saying rather is no action of devotion can make us clean. You can't just make sacrifices to the Lord and be like, I'm good. It's our heart and our hands. It has to go 12 inches from our head and be like, man, I did all these things, right? So I don't want to... I don't want to. Um, I don't want to make anybody unhappy today, but man, th there's power in corporate worship and prayer and corporate confession in the Christian community. There's beautiful power here in what God has called us to do. But I can tell you, if you came to church today thinking you would somehow be forgiven of your sins because you showed up and your devotion to be here on Sunday morning, um, I've got bad news for you. 
It's not just about sacrifice. It's not like, man, God, I gave this much money. I've only missed one of 52 weeks and, uh, you know, all these things. No, that's not it. Those things are good, just like in the psalm. But no, it's about your heart. That's bad news, but the good news is that while your sacrifice meant nothing, maybe just by coming here, it's not, it's not like God's make more happy with you because, or he's going to redeem you because of it. No, he already died in your place. He already covered your sin. He's calling your heart to repentance first, and then he will take care of the rest. Our job is just to respond. And today, more important than just, man, saying, man, I'm here, Lord, and I is great, and I feel like I'm good because I'm a Sunday. Where is your heart with the Lord where is your true heart, your innermost being, the place of your soul with the Lord? Because while we live every single day with many different things, most people probably, most people in your life don't know the inner workings of your soul. When you look in the mirror, you know exactly who you are. You know exactly what you wrestle with. And my prayer is that this morning we would like David, David, respond to our sin. Say, Lord, I know it's ever before me, but today, Lord, I'm asking you to create a clean heart in me. I'm asking you to move in my heart and my soul. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today.